Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Tax season opened January 24th, and it already looks to be a doozy. The IRS expects more than 160 million taxpayers to file a return this year, and there's a lot of room for confusion, even in the early days. Some, but not all, taxpayers will use a professional preparer. Others will rely on the DIY industry, meaning software or cloud-based services for tax prep. To talk about what taxpayers need to know, I've invited Mark Stieber, Chief Tax Information Officer for Jackson Hewitt, to the show. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Very exciting time for Americans and uh, our tax system. Very time. Absolutely. So let's talk right out of the gate. Let's talk DIY. So I think one of the things that is confusing for a lot of taxpayers are the changes to the tax code that keep happening. And then the ability of taxpayers to translate those changes into entries on a return. And so a lot of folks are afraid to do their own return, even if they're in a position where it might make sense for them economically, time-wise, whatever the reason. What would you say are some of the advantages of DYI? And what can you say to taxpayers who are fearful of giving it a whirl? Yeah, I'll start off by saying I'm, I'm not a big fan of DIY preparation, even though our company does offer it in a probably revolutionary price model of it. So we believe that people want it. But I, as a CPA and 35-year tax professional, just think the DIY premise is basically you get it mostly right mm-hmm. for a lower fee. And that, to me, is a disingenuous value proposition because, frankly, there's no return that is so simple not any longer. Our our tax code's gotten so complicated and so immersed in our social strata and network. There is no simple tax return. And I've rarely find, well, my return's just like last year, especially in the days of the pandemic. In fact, I'll start off by saying, yeah, there were a lot of tax law changes. There's been a lot of tax law changes since I got into the business back in the 80s. But frankly, life changes drive more tax complexity than tax law changes. And with the tsunami of the pandemic, Life changes have taken on a whole new angle that are not just getting married or getting divorced or having children. You know, now you have working from home, home office, maybe kind of unemployed, side gig to make ends meet. So I'm really not a big fan of the DIY, especially in the recent history, because there are so many tax breaks that in lower income tax breaks in particular, where you think, well, my, my income is low or medium, so I can just do it on this smartphone. And then you'll overlook any number of benefits that can cost you thousands. And the great myth is simply this. The IRS and your state, they're not in the business to make sure you've got all your money. Your retailer might, your shopping experience might, your credit card might, but the IRS is not. You leave off a benefit, you leave off a credit, you leave off a deduction, it stays off forever. So the DIY model is you get it kind of right. What they're really telling you is you might leave off some money. And that's okay for the pain and the low price. But if you leave off income tax, if you leave off a liability, the man's going to find you. So I'm not a big fan of DIY, not even in the most simple situation, because those simple situations usually mean low income. And low income is where the big benefits are. 
$3,600 or $3, child credit, $6,000 plus earned income credit, which one out of five forget to take. The dependent care credit, $4,000 or up to $8,000. Stimulus payments, $1,400 a person. And you didn't all get all your money if you had a new dependent. So DIY, it's kind of a false promise that it'll be easy, it'll be cheap, and you'll get all your money. That's the part that's not really true. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned about the IRS and, uh, you know, that they're not in the business to help you get your extras, right? Because I was actually complaining about this recently. If you saw the guidance that came out on the RRC, the refundable credit for folks who didn't get all of their stimulus checks, right? So that they can file it on their return and get their extra money back. And the IRS says, if you leave that line blank, or if you put a zero there, they will assume that you're opting out, which is pretty hilarious. But if you put the wrong number there, they'll correct it for you. And that guidance, I think it absolutely confirms what you just said, that you know, that it's not to the IRS's benefit to help, even though they would, I think, argue with me on this point, but it's not to their benefit to always help you get the most out of your tax experience, whether that's a refund or a lower, lower check that you have to write, whatever that might be. I mean, it's really just not in their charter. They're, they're not set up to make sure all Americans do their best. And that's why you have professional tax preparers and, and everything else. They're really in the business of tax administration, collecting the monies to run the government, collecting the money, not collecting the minimal amount that can make Mark or Kelly's life better. And that's the premise that I think many people fall fail of. They really think that the IRS will figure it out. My credit card company figures it out. My employer figures it out. And sooner or later, it'll all write itself. That is not how it works. And you look no farther than this April and every April where the IRS does a compelling outreach program to say, hey, you million taxpayers, y'all are about to forfeit $1 billion, billion with a B in tax refunds that we have, but we mm -hmm. can't find you. And that's for the people who actually have refunds. There's a whole host of other people, the number's unknown, who overlook tax credits, tax deductions. As I mentioned, earned income credit, they do an outreach on that because one out of five people fail to collect that earned income credit benefit each year. That's a $60 billion program that 20 million people take advantage of, but four or five million forget it. So that's about $10 billion that goes uncollected. It's funded by the government. It's a bipartisan agreed to program. $10 billion that doesn't get collected because people don't know. And I put forth a lot of those people are DIY or non-filers or they got bad advice from their cousin Bob, the tax pro. Anyway, <laughs> it's repetitive in the system. You don't claim it. You're never getting it. It's that simple. Right. So when you talk about non-filers, I actually found this particularly interesting as well, because you mentioned early on that you're a CPA. I'm a tax attorney. I do not do my own tax returns. I haven't for years. Honestly, it's, for me, it's a time issue. But I will say that I'm also fortunate to be in a financial position where I can pay someone. We talk to somebody every quarter and make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. And, you know, he looks at the books at the, the law firm and make sure that everything looks good. I realize that not everybody's in the position to do that. And I think it's really, it kind of creates a problem, right? Especially when you mentioned non-filers because the IRS is introducing all of these portals, you know, in an attempt to reach out to non-filers ostensibly to get these benefits that they might be due, whether they're stimulus checks or child tax credits. I do think that it's interesting that they've targeted those things, but not done similar things for, as you mentioned, EITC. I don't know that I think that IRS is the best 
mechanism for getting folks those benefits in that way, meaning, you know, creating these alternative filing arrangements, because I, I do find them confusing as well. And and this year, there's a perfect example of how the uh, non-filer portal for the ACTC, the expanded child tax credit, apparently isn't even going to be available until the end of tax season. I say that just for context, like what advice do you give to people who might not be in a financial position to front money or to spend money or perhaps are fearful about what the cost may be? And this is something I've talked about on the show before. I do think that people sometimes get lost in the idea that if, if there's one price for software, that that's all they're going to pay. And they forget that they have to add a Schedule C or they're going to have to you know pay extra for state. And it does get more expensive, right, for folks. So what advice would you give to people about how to find affordable, and I'm doing that with air quotes, but affordable tax prep? Because I do know this is something folks have been talking about on Twitter. And there are a number of tax professionals who kind of want out of this idea that tax prep should be affordable because they feel like it's it's a hard thing to maintain. So they're actually bundling services and doing other things and selling bigger packages rather than getting your 1040 done. Well, what would you say to folks who are worried about spending the money? Well, you know, it's an evolutionary process. And what I would simply say is it's like anything. You have certain rights as a consumer and you certainly have the right to know how much a service is going to cost, whether you're painting your house or you're going to, you know, a, a hair professional, and your taxes are no different. People have gotten relaxed, you know, a little bit, you know, and they don't press as hard as they should. But I encourage all taxpayers, Jackson Hewitt clients alike, to ask, what's this going to cost me? And unfortunately, there's a little bit of friction there because we can't really just tell you without actually looking at your situation. And people are sometimes frustrated when they say, hey, what should I sure. pay for a tax prep? I said, well, it depends on your situation. You're different than Warren Buffett or, you know, different than my son who has one job and, you know, lives with me. And so it it depends. And so you should ask, but you should be prepared for questions back and not be frustrated when they ask for things like, can I look at your last year return? Can we have a 10 minute discussion and I see how much different it is? And then they should give you a range, not an absolute number, but some do that Mm -hmm. uh, until it's done because you may have omitted the fact that you started a side business and it was small, but in fact, you have a lot of activity. So as a consumer, you should ask. I encourage all people to ask what it will cost, but be prepared to have a little bit of a dialogue. But having said that, with 700,000 or so tax professionals in the industry now, and that's the ones we know of, not those phantom people, and we'll get to them in a minute, you know, there's some pretty competitive pressures on tax preparation. Not everybody needs a a New York barred attorney, tax attorney, or a CPA. There's many fine, well-trained and experienced branded tax professionals that are owned and operated by businesses in your neighborhood. And I don't just mean Jackson Hewitt. And so ask around and ask what it costs. And mostly what I tell people is ask your friends, what do they do? What do they pay? And are they happy? And if you say, yeah, they have somebody they like, they pay a decent fee, then you shouldn't shy away from it. But I'm also of the opinion when I speak in financial literacy, that tax professionalism is not a free service. It's not. You have to learn new laws, sometimes late breaking, retroactive, We have to pay for computers and technology, an essential part of tax preparation today. And you should get some value for that, but you should be expected to pay. And New York City is different than Mobile, Alabama. So, you know, your market also commands a little bit, but mostly it's on you. What did you do during the year? Do you have a side business? Do you and your spouse both have businesses? Were you unemployed? Did you have children? Did you buy a house? Did you put people in college? Those add up to complexity, which will require a discussion during tax prep. 
Now, you can either learn those rules yourself, uh, which is one uh, path for the DIY, or you can pay someone. But to say I'm not going to learn it, the software is going to get it right, just courts risk. So I encourage all Americans to, to use a professional, even if they do it themselves, go for one of the services like ours provides with that free checkup during the summer. Bring three years worth. We'll look at them for free. If we find something, we'll amend it for a small fee. And all the companies have that. And it's a great service if you're an adventurous American and you just want to throw caution to the wind and do your tax return on the bus ride in. But for the vast majority of Americans, and I'll finish on this point, your tax return is your largest single financial transaction each and every year. Yes, you may get married. You may buy a house. You may you know, get divorced. You may start a business. But your tax return's there every year. And if you shortcut that, I promise you, one of those days, you're going to pay a lot more than it would have cost you to have somebody looking over your shoulder each year and even helping you in every other year. It's just a smarter way as our code and our tax rules have so intertwined with our social fabric. It's no longer the day of the postcard. That really was never true to begin with, with two, three quarter pages and six attachments. It sounded good, but <laughs> right. even that was not true. But it's certainly not true with the pandemic and all the laws and the changes and life changes that have happened. You're just you're just going to miss out on a benefit. I've seen it a hundred times. Yeah, um, I know that former IRS Commissioner Koskinen used to say that the checks, for example, the refund checks that folks get back at tax time, for some of them, that's the largest check that they'll see during the year. So when you mentioned that this is one of the most significant financial transactions that you'll encounter, absolutely. I think that most of the folks of the IRS would agree with you. You know, kind of going back to the idea of cost, though, because this is something I have um, asked the tax girl segment on my now on the podcast, but on the website. And one of the things people ask all the time is, you know, what's a fair price for tax prep? And it's an interesting question because, as you mentioned, you know, everybody's situation is different. Now, I often give the same advice, like find someone who's in a situation like you and ask them. It's the same thing like you mentioned. If I see somebody who has great hair and I like the color. I'm like, who does your color, right? So that's the question that you ask. You know, but how do people know what is fair? And again, with the air quotes, but fair, because it is a tricky, I think part of the problem is, and we've been talking about this a lot in the tax profession, the greater community, you know, like how do you promote what your services are and what you're offering? And how can taxpayers distinguish that from someone else? Because there are people who just do tax prep. And for some people, that might be enough. There may be people who want to roll that in with retirement planning and make sure that you're putting enough into your 401k and maybe that works for you. Maybe that doesn't work for, you know, my daughter who's tutoring on the side and doesn't make enough money to be thinking quarterly, you know, retirement planning. So I do think that it's a question that comes up a lot. How do you talk to folks about this, about what is, again, you know, a fair price? Because I think that we all have different ideas of what fair is anyway, but especially when it comes to spending money. Well, it's a simple equation. I counsel on this all during the summer during financial outreach sessions to low and moderate income communities. And I, I tell them it's this way because we live in the most wonderful country in, a, in the world, the capitalist country, where you have a couple of three or four different options. The first option is call around and ask different people what they would charge for your service. If two or three of them all get near the same price, that's probably your price. If you've got one super low and one super high, you might probe a little bit on the super high and ask why that is. Maybe they offer something you don't want, or maybe you don't know that you need. And the super low, I'm always a big believer in to avoid the super low or the word free. But if you call around, and it is an investment of your time, but you're looking to make a relationship here that will last for several years, in my opinion. I don't like to fly by night. I'm going to go to this person this year and this person next year and just see what the price is on your single largest financial transaction. 
But if you educate yourself and with the internet and with the phone, you're really talking about 30 minutes to an hour to find someone to help you with what it is that you want, your tax return preparation. So I can promise you, if you call a Jackson Hewitt office, say, how much are you going to charge? We have trained our people not to say you know, a fixed price till the discussions happen. Now, we'll say we have fees starting, depending on the market, a couple of hundred to whatever it might be. But you have to have that discussion, which you can have over the phone, subject to the actual in-person meeting and the verification of the data. But call one, call two, and call three. Start with your friend, like you say, and say, hey, what do you pay for your tax prep guy? And if they say, I pay $2,000, you know, that may be. They may have a lot of stuff. But what you'll generally find is it's a, you know, a, a big market with a lot of different alternatives. And some are good and some are bad. And that also is a good warning for your listeners that right now is when some of those guys pop out of the woodwork with the sign of guaranteed refund or $6,000 today. Always beware of those. You need to make a life relationship with your tax professional. I'm a big believer in going with the people that are there in the summer and there in the winter. And that's not just the big branded tax companies. That's a lot of fine intermediate you know, tax professionals. But again, you got to do some work on your side or you have risk. And that's with anything, with any purchase, with any good that you buy. You don't know the person selling it and they're not there next week. Great price right now. But when the IRS comes to call with questions, you may be by yourself. So do some homework, do some financial, you know, work on your side. And I think you'll have a better, you know, result, not just a bigger tax refund, although that's certainly a goal, but a better relationship and better tax guidance as something pops up. You start trading in virtual currency. What does that mean? Well, you can call your tax professional. Most of them will say, well, listen, that's taxable. You've got income and you need to do this and that. I've started a self-employment business. Call your person. And again, not everybody needs a CPA, but they certainly do need guidance. But I'm a big believer in the watch out for the free, free do-it-yourself or free whatever, because the business is a complicated business and you require yourself to do some training. And uh, you need to do a little bit of that work on your own. I love that you mentioned relationships because this is something I also very strongly believe. My CPA has been our CPA for a number of years at this point. Um, was not our first one. My listeners know that he came along a little further when we actually ran into trouble with one early on. But he's been our guy for a while. And he knows. He knows that my oldest daughter's in college. He knows that we moved here a couple of years ago. Like He knows what's happening. So he knows the right questions to ask. And I think that's a huge benefit of using the same person and having a relationship. That said, I do think there is a stereotype, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that the big branded um, services are not always the relationship builders. But it sounds like at least for you, that's not the case. So I was wondering if you could talk to that, because I do think that that is a concern that folks have, that they might walk into um, a store and, and or a, an office and see somebody different, and it's not as you mentioned, their person. So what would you say to that? Well, it depends what you're looking for. Put it in a couple of personal perspectives. We do have a lot of people that are new each year and a lot of people that go away each year, but our brand, as some of the other big brands, are a lot more stable. So sometimes people are loyal to the brand. Some people want Mark. They want to have Mark do their tax return. I, I can say my oldest son, who's starting to file taxes, he wants to deal with the company. As long as the company's there and the company branded name is there, whatever he's buying, uh, electronics or brokerage service. He's not so concerned with the actual interpersonal relationship. And I find that's a little more common with the youngers than, than with the older people. They mm -hmm. want to see Mark and they want to talk with Mark. But most companies like ours, we have a, a host of people that have been around for 25 years. And if that's what you're looking for, it goes back to price. It goes back to service portfolio. 
ask and say, I want to deal with your most seasoned preparer who's been there a while, who'll be there next year. That's certainly something that any company, not just Jackson Hewitt, can work in. But you have to ask for that. If you're just expecting to see the same faces every year, you might want to talk with your hairdresser. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of turnover uh, from the pandemic and with the evolution of virtual service delivery on any service, not just tax preparation. So you need to decide as a consumer, what is important to you? Do you want the brand? Do you want that person? Do you want a combination? Do you want a huge portfolio of services, including advocacy, financial products, and financial counseling? You know, you decide what it is that you want. But many of us, and I'll speak to our company, we're in the individual tax preparation space, and we do taxes. And we have a lot of people who are here, and we have a lot of turnover with younger people that are new. So some of our folks like that. Some of our clients want the stable person that's there every year and a little bit more. And so it just depends on what the consumer is looking for. And as you started with 165 million consumers, there's a variety of service offerings for a whole host of different tax companies. But I would still say, you know, it's a personal service business that's important. And if you don't have that where you are, you, you should find someone who makes you feel good, doesn't bother you when you call, doesn't laugh at you when you walk in with the shoebox, doesn't bait and switch you with some crazy, ludicrous offer because it is a business and all the reputable businesses treat it like that. And they treat you as a valuable service partner. And so you have to look for that. It's not everywhere. And it's certainly not there with the pop-ups that happen as kind of a disease on this time of year. And it's certainly not there with some of the DIY software, not to take another smack at them, because we do have a DIY product. But you see a lot of stuff that says free, free, free. And by the time you electronically file and you do your state and your Schedule C, you pay more than you would have paid a pro. So watch for some of those uh, you know, red flags would be what I would say. Right. I think fees on the DIY is the thing that tends to uh, trigger people into maybe making a switch. Because again, if you're, I mean, my daughter doesn't use uh, software because of the fact that we have a CPA for the family, but I suspect if she were at college, she probably would give one of the services a whirl. But when you start making those additions, whether it's state or Schedule C or whatever, Schedule E, whatever it might be, the prices do go up. And that's something that I, I often counsel people when they're asking, like, what's the difference between your know, products? And like, you can't just look at the, the 1040, right? Because for most people, it's not just the front pages, it's the whole return. And in a state like mine in Pennsylvania, it's also going to be a state return from dollar one. There's no exemption. So yeah. But if you're, if you're one of those folks who has been using either a pop-up, I call them ghost preparers. You know, they, they're there seasonally like Halloween. If you're using a ghost preparer or DIY and it's not working for you and you want to go find a professional, let's say that you've narrowed it down. Like this is, you know, you've, you've found your guy or your girl. What do you think that taxpayers need to know walking in for a first, you know, a first meeting? Because I do think that, you know, taxes are intimidating. And the nice thing about doing it in your home is that when you're frustrated or whatever, you know, you're throwing pencils at the ceiling, it's uh, nobody's there to watch it, right? So when you walk into an office, what should taxpayers be prepared for with a professional and what should they be asking? Because I think that's the other thing. I always tell people to ask questions, but I don't know that they know what to ask all of the time. Oh, it's a very complicated situation, your taxes. Most people you know, aren't that familiar with AGI or you know, effective tax rate or marginal tax rate or itemized deductions, and they feel a little intimidated. They don't want to feel inferior. But I'll say this repeating statement, you need to do a little homework on yourself pull last year's tax return and at least understand what's on it, not at a granular tax level, but you know, did you have one job? Do you have three jobs? Do you have a side job? Do you have a spouse? 
be able to talk intelligently when you walk in and say, I'm looking for someone to help me with my taxes. And I have this scenario. And they'll generally put you right at the front of the queue with what you want. I want an experienced pro or I really have a simple situation. But the, the thing I tell people in this day and age, and this is the easiest thing to do, and I hate to say it so superficially, but look at the reviews online. You know, most good tax companies, big or small, boxed or branded, independent or small, they generally have a website now. And with the website comes those Yelp reviews and other reviews. You, you can see if someone's got a track record of problems. And if they do not have a website and if they do not have a social presence, I would call that my first warning in the days of 2020. Everybody's got a website. If your person doesn't because you saw one of those little tents in the middle of the street and that's your person, yeah, you better be a bit more on guard from that. But do your homework online, look for reviews, and then uh, go in with some questions ready to ask to see their competency level. You'll know if you're feeling good about their answers and you'll know if you're feeling uncomfortable that, well, I don't really know anything about. What do you call that? Cryptocurrency? You know, that's probably another warning. So look at your own stuff. Look at your own year. I always tell people my biggest piece of tax guidance is to look at your year for life changes, be armed with those big and small, and tell your tax professional, I got married easy, but I had a kid who went back to school, or I'm now taking care of my elder parents, or I started a business on the side. It's really small. You know, it only made a few thousand dollars, but it could be bigger. Those types of discussions will have a big impact on your tax return, and you can gauge whether or not your person is the right person. And you always have the freedom to walk away until they press the button and send it. So at any point in time that you're not comfortable that you're getting your service, raise the issue. Don't just think you have to take it. That's another myth that exists out there. Once they start, and that's kind of the DIY hook. Once you put all that data in there and you find out it's $240, then dang, I don't want to have to start that over. You know, and that's just you know a fallacy in that service that you know you can start over, and it's probably worth your money if you're really not happy and the fee is giant because there are good fees out there. And like I said at the start, you know we at Jackson here are trying to disrupt the industry. We have a flat twenty five dollars, free state twenty five is twenty five. It doesn't mean anything else, and we're waiting to see how that works out. And it's locked in for three years, but we feel that there's pretty big need of transparency and price adjustment in the DIY sector. So we're we're doing our part this year. We'll see what it turns into uh, after the season. Right. And one of the things we're seeing more of on DIY and also in person services is this notion of guarantees and audit relief or audit protection. It's interesting to me because as a tax attorney, I do a lot of controversy work that was pre-pandemic, actually, what I did mostly for a bit there. The controversy work is a a big deal right now because there is, you know, a, a level of confusion with respect to everything. As you mentioned, crypto, that's a big one, but also uh, foreign accounts. That was something I, I had a lot of. And folks didn't realize sometimes it mattered because maybe their uncle had them on as a power of attorney for an account in Greece and it wasn't in their bank account. So they weren't thinking about it. And, you know, to them, they weren't a foreign taxpayer. So, you know, there's lots of, of room um, in the controversy industry as well as in the prep industry. But what about folks who are looking for that guarantee or something to make them feel better about the next step? I know that's where, again, the ghost preparers matter, right? Because they're not going to be there to help you. But what do you think should be a role of a professional in those situations? And do you believe in guarantees in that way? I'll simply say this. Aside from price, if you don't ask the question of your tax professional, whomever they are, what is your basic guarantee on this tax return? Suppose there's a problem 
my fault. IRS just gets curious. You made an error. What are my rights? You need to understand that. And it should be in two or three buckets. There should be a basic guarantee behind the work, which includes the tax pro should sign the tax return. That's required under the law. But I'm amazed at how many of those don't get done each year. And for a variety of reasons, it's not being that enforced. But if they won't sign it and tell you that they will stand behind their work with a guarantee of defense and a refund of the payment of the taxes or of the, the fees, the tax is a different issue. If there's an error, then you've probably got the wrong prepare. Because I'll say it this way, it's kind of table stakes out there now in the tax industry to guarantee accuracy, to guarantee not necessarily that we'll make you whole on all the taxes, because you never know what the situation might be on that, but to absolutely defend the work and stand behind the work and stand behind a guarantee of satisfaction. I'm not aware of any company, big or small, competitor, or friends that are CPAs that do not offer that. Having said that, not everybody does. And it's a reason why they don't offer it, because that's expensive to stand behind your work, especially if you're just a seasonal company and you just pop into business from January to April. Heck, you may not even be there in the summer when there's questions. But ask that question and make sure that it's in writing and provided as a part of the service. You don't have to read that Apple iPhone contract that's 100 pages. Suffice to say, if they've got a one pager that says, here's what your basic guarantee is, and the rest of it, you can go to the web, pull up your electronic return, or you want it printed, most will do that. You should have that, but you should feel comfortable that your person has a basic stand behind their work guarantee. And if they don't, that's kind of like, we can't tell you how much it is till you finish. That's one of those runaway kind of uh, red flags, not walk away, because you're a service provider. We have to register as you do with the IRS. We have to register in many cases with the state. We're proud of that. And we are proud to do good work. Doesn't mean we won't make a mistake because this is a complicated series of events that gets a tax return prepared. But you should be able to say, I guarantee that this will be done with the most accuracy that I can and our software can. And if not, we'll make it right. And here's in writing what we will do. And if you don't get that, you probably got somebody who's giving you a discount for a reason. And the reason is they won't be there when you know there's a question, big or small, simple or complicated. Right. And finally, I think, um, you know, last year, if you had to ask most tax professionals, they would say that the thing that tended to give taxpayers fits last year was uh, stimulus checks. Stimulus checks and unemployment, I think, were two of the things we heard a lot of in terms of what was confusing. Understanding that you don't have a crystal ball, what do you think will be problematic for taxpayers this year? Well, there's a a lot more areas of risk, but I'll say it this way not as many. Those stimulus payments last year were particularly problematic. First, there were two sets, and each of the two sets had different amounts for the the recipients, both for the parent or the dependent. And the second one came right out at the year end, and many didn't remember if they got it or they got a check or deposit. So the stimulus created quite a bit of angst last year. This year, we had one stimulus payment. Granted, it seemed like it was years ago back in March, but it was (laughs) one payment, one amount, $1,400 for all God's souls. So there won't be that level of complexity. Having said that, Now, unemployment was taxable. Then it wasn't taxable, kind of mid-year retroactive. Now it's back to taxable. I think that may catch some people off guard because they may still think that, you know, it's not taxable and the IRS will know. So unemployment, particularly persnickety. But the biggest element that's going to cause fits this year will be the child tax credit. Three reasons. One, it's enormous. $3,600 per young child, $3,000 for older children, $2,000 for people that income out on those. So there's three different amounts. As you may know, the IRS started paying advanced payments on the estimate of what you might get all the way back in July, six monthly payments unless you opted out or opted in or changed your information. 
Now they're sending out letters to all the people who participated, but where it is, those may not be completely accurate for some taxpayers. So the child tax credit is of a great opportunity for people. And it's a wonderful program. I love it. And it's always been good. Whether or not it needs to be in continuation prepaid all year round is another political question. But right now it's $3,600. You should have it on your tax return if you received advanced payments to get the other half. You may have some reconcilement. So I, I think in answer to your question, Kelly, that the, the child tax credit for those 35 million people will be of a particularly complicated issue that you really don't want to misstep on. You reconcile it wrong or you leave the amount off that's incorrect or you ask for more that you're not due or you're in a shared custody situation. You, you, you'll get it fixed over time, but it may add weeks or months to your tax return refund timing. And the IRS is still having problems with staffing and people and technology. So if you've got child tax credit, got unemployment, you don't think you've got all your uh, stimulus payments. Those recovery rebate credits went to everybody that was on the system. But if you had a new child, if you adopted a child, fostered a child, it's your year for shared custody. You may be doing another 1400 there. As I say, the child credit big, the dependent care credit four or eight thousand big, the earned income credit big for single people with no kids. There's a lot of areas for opportunity, but a lot of areas for risk. But the child tax credit is the one that we're watching closest because so many people have so many moving parts on that, and the dollars are just enormous. Right, and again, that's an example of where simple is hard. So yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. Before you go, I have just a couple of getting to know you questions that I'm going to spring at you. And so the first one, if you could be a character on any TV show, which show would you choose? <laughs> well, you know, that's tough for a tax guy. There are not many, a lot of tax role models, but I do like that Walter White guy from Breaking Bad. I think if he was a tax professional, that might've taken a whole new angle of spin than a <laughs> chemistry teacher. So I, I was telling my kids that one day, he said, Walter White, he's cool. You're an accountant. I said, yeah, I'd be the cool Walter White accountant that goes after the bad guys. So Walter White, Breaking Bad, even though it's over, it's still a, an icon in TV industry. I, I could see myself being the, the accounting Walter White breaking, uh, breaking tax or whatever. Just without all the felonies, I guess. Without all the felonies yeah. and uh, you know, getting <laughs> sure. people right by their taxes. Right. What's your favorite tax code section or reg? Well, you know, we debated that earlier. A lot of people like the 77 series where the definitions are, the 7700s. I personally, because I do a lot of financial counseling and outreach, I like code section 408. And for your listeners who don't know what that is, and we're getting into too much code speak, that's the part that has to deal with individual retirement accounts or IRAs. I'm a big passionate speaker on saving and people need to save more and they don't think that they're going to live like their parents because they're not. And Social Security is not going to save you. So I always like to ask people, hey, you got an IRA? Have you put money in an IRA? You know, you can put money in an IRA after the year end. So I'm a big IRA fan. Sounds like I work for a bank. But <laughs> I find that is a really great section of the tax code for simple reasons. One, it helps Americans. It helps taxpayers. It does the right thing. You know, you put money in savings. It's tax deductible, grows tax-free, and you have an asset. Secondly, it's pretty simple, although much like everything, including the child credit, you got traditional IRA, non-deductible IRA, Roth IRA, you got a lot of different choices, but that's the price of fairness is a little bit of complexity. But at its simplest part, an IRA is just money you put on a savings account that you get a tax deduction for, and it helps everybody. So I like 408 IRAs. I'm an IRA fiend, I guess, if you want to be a total tax nerd, but I find that helps people. It's not too hard to look at. There's a dozen different calculators on there that you can contribute and see if it works or if you're covered, you don't. But the IRA, I think everybody ought to have one. If you don't, you ought to look into it if you can. 
I agree. My daughter just opened one uh, with her tutoring money. She's pretty excited about it. Uh, you know, and the rules are great. They're really pro-favorable. You know, not necessarily if you're a, a high net worth individual, you work for a company with a big plan, but that's so many fewer of us today. A lot of people mm -hmm. are doing their own thing. They don't have any kind of savings. And you can put 2000 or a lot more than that in it, take the tax deduction and you get an immediate 10 or 20% on your return on your investment. Warren Buffett would jump on that every day. <laughs> so the IRA, it's a great tool, but it's really kind of, oh, that's your parents' retirement. No, no, IRAs work today for everybody. Agreed. So controversial question, should the tax filing season deadline be changed? And if so, to what date? Yeah, I'm a big believer in no. And I'll tell you why. Elon Musk, I don't know if you follow him. He's a you know, trendsetter and breaker on everything. He said a quote one time that I really like. If you give yourself 30 days to clean up your room, you'll take 30 days to clean up your room. If you give yourself three days, you'll do it in three days. It's human nature. So moving the tax deadline does nothing but allow people to put off their single largest financial transaction, for which three out of four people get a refund, and it's their money. If you give them till June, they'll take till June. We saw that with the last two pushbacks from the IRS, and it helps no one. It doesn't help the tax industry, although you may think, yeah, they want to get all that money up front. No, we want to get the thing done and get it over with so we can start on next year. So I think April's a nice fair deadline. That's four and a half months to do a tax return. There's 700,000 people that can help you. I don't really see any benefit with stretching it out because it is a complicated transaction. It does take some time, but it's not enormous. And if you dedicate the time to it, you can do it in a few short days. In fact, I'm of the opposite. I tell people file early. File as early as you can. It's your money. If you file early, you get your money. What kind of a financial savant do you have to be to know that works? If you file early, you lock up your data with the IRS so those bad dang data stealers can't file a fake tax return on you and try to steal your refund. And if you file early and you watch a program like this and you hear about a new tax tip, you're not up against the midnight hour to figure out your home office deduction. So I'm of the belief that the 415 works. It's been there since you know 1913. It is a good daytime, a good deadline. It should not be moved. You know, if anything, people should ignore it and file as early as they can and not think they have this false extra time that does them no good and does not help their financial situation. Okay. And final question is also controversial. Tax Twitter wants to know pancakes or waffles. <laughs> well, I'm a big believer in the Waffle House uh, as I have grown up near them and I have converted many a Waffle House follower. Having said that, I'm a big pancake fiend. I have my own pancake recipe that I have perfected over 50 years. So I like a good pancake when it's my pancake. And if we're going out, we go to Waffle House. If that's not too politically correct to say, I kind of like both. I like my own pancakes, but I do like the Waffle House. Uh, they just have great food, great service, and they're just a cultural icon in America. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. If folks wanted to find you either on social media or on the web, and you wanted to be found, where would you send them? I'm probably one of the easier find people because I do, like yourself, a lot of political or a lot of postings out on YouTube. You can Google me pretty quick. And if you need to reach me, my email's easiest email on earth, mark.stever at jtax.com. I try to get back to everybody. And I consider myself kind of an asset of the company as a brand ambassador. So you got a question, you got a beef, you got a complaint, YouTube me, LinkedIn me, find me on the Google. Uh, I'm pretty easy to locate, but I'm basically down here in Sarasota, Florida, at our technology campus and travel the year uh, helping folks find more money and get a bigger refund. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. All right, Kelly, wonderful to chat with you again. You have a great day. You too. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, 
please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.